0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. We are up to episode 22 and I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today by the analytics guru, Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello again. And the comedy
1: relief, Pete DeMayo.
0: That's me. Tell a joke. No, don't. I'm just kidding.
1: What did zero say to eight? I don't know. Nice belt.
0: (laughs) I thought it was going to be something about eating seven. No, that's
1: six and seven.
0: Okay. All right. Number jokes. You can get those right here, but you can also get (laughs) hotel news. So what is going on in the world of hotel news? Melissa.
2: I'll go first. Um, TripAdvisor has started doing something new on their homepage, and that is adding a things to do widget. Um, as part of the search functionality on the homepage, um, Travel Weekly released an article uh, talking about this recently, and what's interesting about this is that according to TripAdvisor, um, things outside of the hotel realm, so attractions and tour bookings have risen over 150% year-over-year, year, and attractions listings on TripAdvisor have gone 63% up. Hmm. Uh, year over year so it's really interesting to see that um, in addition to growing we know they're growing their instant book capabilities for hotels but now they're also putting a real emphasis on things to do outside of the hotel realm so be curious to see how that has an impact on the site
0: yeah i mean have you seen it what do you think about it
2: I think it's a great idea. I really like the way it looks on the homepage. Um, it's a tabbed uh, widget so you can look at hotels, you can look at vacation rentals, there's also flights, <laughs> restaurants, and then there's things to do and you just search what city you're interested in looking for something to do, and it's uh, pretty handy.
1: That's pretty interesting. You know, one thing that we've noticed on the Instant Book side looking at some of our hotels is I'd say about 75% of their bookings over the recent period. Have been within three days of date of stay, you know. So they're booking and staying. In a lot of cases, we're looking at zero and one days out. So it makes a lot of sense for them to also stick in that those things to do because you know a lot of those cases, those customers may already be in the market, and that may be even more relevant as soon as they make that booking.
0: Yeah, it's pretty nice, and I really like the user interface they've gone with because when I heard they were going to be doing this, my first question was was that gonna distract from the hotels is it gonna potentially hurt them you know and they've made some choices recently that have not helped them financially you know with the whole instant booking push great for the consumer great for the hotels but really bad for their pocketbooks. Mm -hmm. and you've seen their earnings be down significantly there's a lot of pressure from all the um, share owners but I like the way they've done this because it doesn't get in the way. If you want the normal TripAdvisor experience, you just go there, you type in a destination, it's exactly the same. But now, right above that, you have, like you said, the opportunity to click on flights or things to do, stuff like that. So I think kudos to the design team at TripAdvisor for coming up with a UI that really works without diminishing the effect or the impact of the existing site. So.
2: And yeah. I'd be surprised not to see down the road somewhere a linking of the two. So if you're looking for hotels somewhere, there's going to be things to do on that page when you're searching for a hotel and vice versa. Yeah, I
0: think they're beginning to look at the kind of packaging of that stuff. I think that's the way to go. I think if you look at the industry in general, you know, Airbnb has been doing this recently with their experiences. Uh, Hilton just came out with their update on the app, which is really pushing local things to do. And I think it's just a trend in general in travel as, you know, the economy has kind of bounced back. People are actually traveling just not out of necessity anymore, but they're looking for leisure travel, which is leaning towards more experiential, especially with millennials. So why do you go to a destination? It's not to sleep in a bed, right? It's to do stuff. So I think it makes sense to get a one-stop shop that can help you figure out what to do in a new destination. So yeah, I think it's a good move for TripAdvisor.
1: So what's next? Yeah, so the next one we have is an article on T News. And it's entitled, Business Travelers on Apps and Other Hotel Technology. And it's referencing an article that was produced by the GBTA Foundation, which is the Global Business Travel Association. And basically what they did was survey different customers and really looked at what customers look for, you know, in a hotel, but then also how they're interacting with technology. And what was interesting was the study found that 61% of business travelers had an app on their device of one of the seven major hotel flags. So it made fantastic penetration in the market for apps. And 54% had at least two apps from the major travelers or the major chains, which is really interesting. Uh, definitely goes to show that you know, apps are out there, and at least the business traveler segment has wholeheartedly adopted them.
0: Yeah, if you're a frequent traveler and you 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 buy into loyalty points and all that stuff and you you especially if you're you want the convenience of skipping check-in, I think an app is a no-brainer, right? But That's the business segment. The leisure segment, though, is the one that people question, but we feel strongly that the leisure traveler wants it just as much as the Mm -hmm. business traveler, not just because of the convenience of check-in, but also because you can add value to the stay by communicating with a guest during the stay. And that's where people that use you know, independent hotels that use our Guest Express app are really having a lot of success when you do things like send push notifications after check-in to check that the room's okay or that evening after they've checked in to promote specials at the the bar or even give them a free drink, something that surprises and delights them, you know? So communicating with the consumer while they're during their stay can really enhance the experience and enhance your online reputation because a better experience leads to more repeat business and more reviews and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, and for the business traveler, they really care about the the managing their loyalty points, remote check-ins, not as many of those people search for a on their app, whereas on the customer or the vacation side, they're much more interested in the on-property interaction that hotel or the business traveler really doesn't care about. They just want to get in and get out. One thing I saw in that study that was really interesting is despite all the hotel's efforts for things like mobile check-in, kiosks, uh, wireless you know, key access, things like that, The most important thing to business travelers is USB ports. Hmm. Getting USB ports and ways they can charge their devices in the rooms is paramount for, especially business travelers. But you also have to figure if you're traveling with a family, let's say if you have a family of four people, that's at least four devices between phones, tablets, computers, Mm -hmm. everything else that, you know, the newer trends that we're seeing in those hotels where they're going very tech in the room. It's something important
0: to yeah I, I, on that note i stayed at an aloft in, in greenville south carolina a couple of weeks ago and they had this cool contraption that i hadn't seen before i've seen the extensions that sit on the desk or next to the the bed or whatever but on the each nightstand so on either side of the bed they had this device and it was three or four regular plugs or outlets but then it had eight on each device, it had eight USB as well. Oh, well. wow. So there's no way I've had that many <laughs> devices, but I'm never going to find. And the fact that they were on top of the nightstand and yeah. easy to access, yeah. not I didn't have to move the bed out or move the nightstand out to get to the plug, was great. So I could plug in you know, my iPhone and my iPad and my computer all at the same time, and then my wife did the same on the other side as well. Great. So it was really good. Hats off to Aloft for that. It was really cool all right so that is the news let's talk about our um, subject of the day which is uh, metrics that actually matter so in this industry i think one of the um, challenges we have is distraction through vanity metrics people look at data that isn't really a good indicator of success often and they get bogged down on things that that don't matter like uh, how much traffic is my website getting right that could be a good thing you would assume that more traffic is better but what kind of traffic is it is more important question because if you get a lot of bad traffic that is not qualified that bounces that can obviously affect things like your um, overall conversion rate but also can affect your organic search ranking because people aren't staying long Google's looking at that and that's gonna hurt you long term from a revenue perspective so Melissa wrote this awesome blog post that's on our website we'll link to that from the show notes but it basically lists out 10 and these aren't the only 10 but they're 10 very good metrics that people should pay attention to and we're going to talk about it from a website perspective from an email perspective and then from a paid advertising perspective so these are 10 of the metrics that you should actually pay attention to versus a lot of the other noise that's out there. So, Melissa, this is your article. So why don't you start by kicking us off with number one?
2: Well, before I kick us off with number one, I do want to say that my goal for this post and these 10 tips is because everybody's time is limited. You know, you have X amount of hours a day. And for many hoteliers, there's not enough hours in the day. So my goal was if you only have a little bit amount of time and a small amount of dedicated resources. These are the most important metrics that you can use to make business decisions to drive better revenue for your property. So, like Stuart said, these aren't the only 10, but it, it's a good starting point to at least get you going.
0: All right, cool, so, so what's awesome one?
2: with that, conversion rate. And on this, we are talking about the website overall. Um, we want to look at the conversion rate, which is either the number of bookings divided by your visits or the number of bookings divided by your total visit tours, So unique people come to the website. Uh, there's different applications for that um, metric depending on what you're looking at. Um, In general, though, um, you want to see it as a website as a whole, but then you also want to break it down by traffic source. And this is how you're going to see where your most qualified traffic is coming from and where your not so good traffic is coming from, and hopefully increase your qualified traffic by looking at that information.
0: Yeah, and also looking at it not just by source, but also by device type as well, because traffic that's coming on a mobile device might behave differently than those coming on a desktop. So looking at that conversion rate and trying to figure out, always trying to look at how can I improve conversion rate? Because you can send as many people as you want to the website, but if they're not booking, then you have a problem, right? They're not either the right people or you're not telling them the right story about your property to get them to convert, or you don't have the right product for them, right? So trying to figure that out by looking at it broken down, like you said, by source, and by device type, I think is critical.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, you have to start there. To me, it's a very clarifying metric. Where you know, the other metrics we talk about, and you know, one thing that's not on here and should never be on here is the, uh, you know, the opinions of the people building the site and whatnot. That all needs to be based on analytics. And I think with you know, the true conversion rate, that's the one thing that you can look at, and everybody can agree on. It needs to grow by a certain amount. Yeah and, and especially
0: when you're if you're invested in AB testing or multivariate testing I think the the one metric you really want to look at more than any other is overall conversion rate in, in probably by visitor versus um, visit but you know you can look at it either way
2: I will say this just on that note Google Analytics, by default, will only give you the conversion rate by visit, so you would have to create a calculated metric to do it on the visitor level. So just a side note on that.
0: Okay, what about other other options like Omniture, Site Catalyst, or Adobe Analytics?
2: What's funny about Adobe Analytics is that that's not even a built-in metric at all. You have to create a calculated metric for both of those things unless you're just (laughs) looking at the report that says conversion funnel, in which case both of those are built in. But if you're looking at a ranked report like a campaigns report or a referring domain, you actually have to go build those (laughs) metrics yourself.
0: Okay, if you need help doing that, Melissa can can help. All right, so what's number
1: two?
2: So number two and number three are subcategories of conversion rate. The first one is the conversion rate at the front end of your site. So this is excluding your booking engine. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts and in another blog post that we'll link to. Um, But basically the front end of your website, it has one goal. It is to make visitors interested in your property and drive them to the booking engine. So what we are looking for is a conversion rate of visits to the front end that actually made it to the booking engine.
1: Okay, so actually performed a search. Of
2: that performed something. a room search of some kind. Yeah, I
1: love how that's broken out into two parts because the site can do the best job in the world of getting them to the booking engine. If there's a problem there, you almost have to split those paths and say, okay, they did this fine. I've accomplished step A. Now I really want to focus on step B of finding why they're bailing on the booking engine. Maybe there's wanted rates, maybe there's something difficult. But you know, by sp- splitting those up, at least it gives you an idea of where you need to look to improve.
0: Yeah, and I think that's this is something that I think here and now we look at because most people have a website that's built by one company or internally, and then a booking engine that is a software mm-hmm. provider that gives it to them, either their PMS or or agency like us that has guest desk as a booking engine and typically those those two things that aren't, they look similar but they're on different domains and um, you know they're not really fully integrated in the way you would imagine them to be. Now I will say this we're currently working on the new version of guest desk which is going to be launching early next month and it's more integrated into the website to the point where you don't leave the domain until you actually put in the credit card information so I think yes Getting people into the booking engine is critical now because of the way the technology works. But I think in the future, we're going to look at this a little differently because the booking engine is going to be more integrated into the website experience. So, for example, when I go to a rooms page or an accommodations page and look at the actual rooms within the website, the rates and availability are going to show up right there. And we already have that in some cases with some of our clients where you can see an availability calendar right on the accommodation page. You don't actually have to make a search. But um, I agree with you for right now, understanding how many people are buying into the fact that they want to stay at your property because you sold them that value proposition, yes, you've got to get them to make a search. So that makes sense.
1: And I think you hit on one thing right there that's pretty important. At the front end of the conversion funnel when they're on the site, It's a sales job to convince them that your property is right for them. You know, so there's a whole different process. And when they get to the booking engine, then you have to kind of switch hats and become an e-commerce, you know, solution of how do I get this person once they've made the decision quickly through that process. You know, you're not so much selling them on the benefits of, you know, visiting a destination or even your particular resort. You want to be very, very smooth and clean right through that entire process. Yeah, and that's when
0: we use the word frictionless a lot, right? Right. You want that whole process to not put up any barriers. They've selected your property. Maybe rate is still the only component they're considering, but you still, you want to make sure that that booking process, which I think is number three, Melissa, is, you know, the booking process is as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. So you want to describe number three?
2: Yeah. So... Number three is the conversion rate of the booking engine. So once you have searched for a room, what is the conversion rate of those visitors who actually made a booking? Um, And this is something you should definitely be monitoring at least weekly, monthly, on a regular basis because you'll see trends. Over time, you should see either a pretty steady conversion rate, or hopefully if you're testing and optimizing, you will be seeing gradually increasing conversion rates. And if you see a sudden dip in conversion rate, that would definitely be a call out to say, hey, what's going on here? It could ish, it could indicate that you've got a rate parity issue. It could mean that you know, you've know you maybe put your rates up too high all of a sudden, or maybe there's just a, a, an unavailability issue and people aren't able to book. Or maybe there's a technical issue on the website that people aren't able to book.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that's really important. And we've had real use case experience with this where client has a a conversion rate that maybe year-over-year has decreased and trying to understand why we have to kind of peel back the onion and look at it piece by piece Well, how many people got from the website to the booking engine how many people got from the booking engine to actual results and availability well how many people then got to additional services how many got to the final page where they enter their credit card and then how many people converted so you can't just say, okay, my conversion rate's down, there's a problem. You have to analyze it and get really granular and say, where is that decrease? At what point in the funnel did people bail out more this year than last year? And oftentimes, what we'll see is that happens either on the once they've seen rates or on that final page. You know, those right. are typically mm-hmm. the two places we see decreases. Sometimes that could be on what you're showing on that final page on the on, between the search results and the final page maybe you didn't include all the taxes and fees and you've added a $20 resort fee this year well you know what now people are seeing that at the very end that might cause them to bail more than they did last year or maybe it's you know like you said an availability issue maybe there's a technical reason that certain results aren't coming back from the PMS that would affect people going from the results page to the next step so you really gotta look at it in that granular fashion, I agree.
1: Yeah, and we looked at it from you know, part of the, the guest desk platform is a golf and tea time booking system. And that system recently went over a, a major overhaul about how, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And it was very interesting to see where if you looked at the conversion funnels between versions, version A, people would get to the very end of the funnel and bail out. Version B, the new version, they were bailing out a lot earlier in the funnel. But when you looked at it, what you found was the rate for a given tea time was displayed in its entirety with all you know, taxes and fees much earlier in the process. So you had people who were just shopping wanted to find a rate. We were more efficient at getting them that rate, mm-hmm. but in turn it made it appear that the system wasn't working quite as well. But once you dug into it, you realized that you were actually helping those consumers quicker and the overall conversion rate from the front of the site right through the end was actually better. They use moving where they were bailing out. Right. Like they are doing a better job of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important, right? Because your job of your website and your booking engine combined is not just to book everyone, but it's to qualify all those that are qualified to book you, but to disqualify those that are not. Mm-hmm. So the sooner you show people the information they really need to make their decision, the better, because they can move on and go about their business I mean, there's less overhead on you, you in terms of your website resources and, and stuff. So I think it's okay for people to bail out earlier in the funnel as long as overall you're getting meet more people right. through the very end of the funnel. And people sometimes get scared when they see people bailing out earlier, but they're not looking at the big picture. So I think really one, two, and three in terms of Melissa's list need to be looked at individually, but they also need to be looked at in conjunction with each other as well.
1: And also Melissa's point of looking at the conversion rates and just performance overall by visitor instead of just visit because there are a lot of people who make multiple visits and convert on that second or third time.
0: Yeah. And then the one thing we're missing of course is cross device tracking. You know, there's not really a good solution for that yet. I think that's coming. I don't know whether it will be Google or Facebook or a third party that kind of plugs that or even individual properties that develop loyalty programs and the reason to log in to each version of the site. But right now, we lose track of people. When they come and uh, visit the website from their mobile phone and do a search and bail out, well, you know what, they might come back later on their desktop and actually convert but we never saw that conversion happen on that initial visit. And we can't tie that visitor together because they're on different devices. We can't cookie them across device. So I think that's kind of a, a little bit of a gray area right now in analytics yes, that we have. Absolutely. That we're trying to you know, plug that gap. But I think it's just good for people to be aware and conscious of that. Especially as we see the mobile traffic now for most of our clients at least is over 50%. And when I say mobile, I'm talking about mobile phone traffic, not not tablet. So tablet and desktop combined is less than 50% Mm -hmm. of traffic. But in terms of conversions and revenue, we still see that desktop is way above the others. So there are a lot of people clearly that are doing research on their mobile device. But because they're still not sure about security or whatever it is or a comfort level that's not there with a mobile device, they're still booking right now on their desktop. Now, I think that's changing. I think people are getting more uh, comfortable with the mobile device. We see that gap closing every year, but for right now, we know that a lot of people are using multiple devices when visiting the website.
2: All right, moving on to number four, and I hate to say this, but this is my least favorite metric that I've ever talked about in any blog post, podcast, et cetera, and it is the bounce rate. I say that because overall, I don't find the bounce rate of an entire website very useful. A, it depends on your industry. B, it just doesn't tell you anything unless you segment that data very carefully. So when I talk about bounce rate, let's first define what that is. Um, and I think that one of my favorite analytics gurus, Avinash Kahushik, says it best. Basically, it says, a visitor came, they puked, and they left. They visited your website, they saw nothing of interest, and they just abandoned. Um, And while this is mostly correct, like I said, it does not apply to 100% of your website or 100% of your visitors. So if you think about this, um, you're searching for the address of a hotel on Google. You find the Google listing, the natural search listing, you click on the name of the hotel, you get to the Contact Us page or the About Us page that has the address. You got the information you needed and you left. Well, you didn't puke on the website. You got the information you needed. It was a valuable visit, but it was only one page and technically that counts as a bounce. So what I like to look at is the bounce rate by entry page. That way you can quickly see you know, your news articles, your blog post articles that are maybe more informational that people are more likely to bounce off of versus your home page or your accommodations page or your amenities page that you definitely are looking to move people down the conversion funnel um, in a more efficient way so if your home page balance rate is 70 percent i would say you've got some problems on that page and that need to be addressed versus a 70 percent bounce rate on your contact us page for example
0: yeah and this is another metric that i think is misinterpreted a lot of times because just because your bounce rate increases doesn't necessarily mean it does not necessarily bad right because it could just mean you're qualifying and disqualifying faster like i said earlier disqualifying people is, is important as well so I like to look at this not just from a landing page perspective, but also from a source perspective as well, because my organic, I I have a little less control over, right? I might start ranking for certain keywords organically that uh, maybe I should, right? I just happen to have gotten lucky and rank for... The best sushi restaurants in my destination right and people are landing there and they're like well this isn't a sushi restaurant but it maybe has a blog post about it but i'm just going to read that blog post and i'm going to leave right so that organic can can be a little misleading where i think bounce rates should be really looked at is in the paid advertising side so if your bounce rate from say adwords is really high then you have a problem because this is people you're actually paying to come to your website so not only are they leaving your website? But you just spend money on that and you're obviously spending money on the wrong types of people or setting up the wrong expectation for that person that's coming to your website. So making sure that your paid advertising bounce rate is as small as possible is critical. And that could be tweaking the, the actual ads that you're running, the content where you're targeting, but also updating the landing page. Where are they actually landing? Does that do a good job of getting them through a funnel? That could be an email sign-up. It could be a, a booking. But figuring out who they are, what their intent is, and what you can give to them, what you can provide to them that is valuable so that they don't just land on a page and leave.
1: Yeah, every page on your site should be looked at in some form or fashion as part of that conversion funnel. If it's a news page, it needs to be talking about the news item and then lead the person into either rooms related to that news article, events, whatever else it might be that drives them through that process. If you see that you have a great news article and a great news system, you get a lot of people to it but they always leave. It may be just the fact that at the bottom of that page you're not asking them to do anything.
0: Right, and that's critical, right? Because people often if they if you fulfilled their original query, right? They go to Google, they search for an, for information, that page provides the information they were looking for. Then they're going to leave unless you tell them to do something else. So you got to give them a reason not to leave. And, and oftentimes people will try too hard to get them from A to Z without the steps in between, right? So you'll come on, land on a page that talks about the best sushi restaurants in your area. And then you try to get them to book a hotel with you. Well, They're probably not ready for that. They weren't even looking for a hotel. Mm -hmm. They were looking for sushi restaurants. So maybe give them valuable content related to sushi restaurants and how your property is near these particular sushi restaurants. Or maybe it's a different kind of content. There's news about your property, Mm -hmm. but they're not ready to book, but they find it interesting. Well, maybe ask for an email address. Don't try to get too. them to, to book because they're not they're not in booking mode right now, but they just learn something about maybe you're doing some awesome charitable work and that's the pace they landed on. We'll say, hey, learn about the other stuff that we do at this property. Sign up for this email right here and just get an email address or push them to your social channels. Get them to follow you on Twitter or like you on Facebook, whatever it is. You don't have to get to the home run on that first visit. Yeah, the, your the job is to get file. them through the funnel to the next step of the funnel and that small increments
1: yeah and that funnel doesn't always end in a doesn't always have to funnel the person to that booking it like you said the charity that funnel may just end in share this with a friend and you can consider that even though it was necessarily it could have been a bounce. but if you convert that to hey they shared this and it was a charitable cause You've achieved your goal. Right. That person was never going to book to start. Well, maybe they contributed to the
0: charity and then right. some good came from it. You know, So you're not always trying to get that home run. Like I said, sometimes it's just incremental, edging them through to something else beyond what they landed on.
2: All right. We're going to leave the website for a few minutes, and we're going to jump into email metrics. Um, we have certainly found that from at least a vacation destination that a hotel marketers owned database can really be one of the best returns on investment you can have if it's used properly so we're going to look at a few of those metrics that that matter when it comes to email and the first one you may be surprised to hear me say this but it's deliverability because if your emails aren't getting delivered they're certainly not getting opened and they're definitely not getting booked from
0: it's the most overlooked metric Mm -hmm on email marketing It's ID so period. important. It so is. so important. People often don't look at it for months at a time, and then they'll come back and say, well, hey, we went from like 99% deliverability, and we're at 99% now, but we went through this period of 80%, and all those people are now off my list because yeah. I got blocked by this particular ISP, and I didn't realize it. you got to look every single Every send. Every send, you have to look at deliverability. And
1: deliverability is only... That metric is only very the very tip of an iceberg of getting to the person's inbox. If you have a poor sender reputation where you're not even getting to the part where you get delivered to the customer via the ISP, you're definitely not in their inbox. You could be in their spam. You could be in a promotions folder. farther down that list, if you don't have a 99.5-plus percent deliverability rate, that is a sign of a much bigger problem. In your email plan. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, and that kind of comes back to starting with List Health, right? Making sure that the people that you're opting in, you're being transparent, that you're doing it in an ethical way. The people, you're setting expectations so they know what they're going to receive and that you're providing value to them that they want and they look forward to so that they're willing to, say, add you to their uh, address book so you're more likely to get in. So that they're actually interacting with your emails when they, mm-hmm. when they actually get them. But deliverability is critical and is so overlooked. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Not to be a kind of a spoiler for the rest of the podcast, one of the metrics on Melissa's list is not email list size. That is a completely (laughs) irrelevant metric because if they're not getting delivered, it doesn't matter how big your list is. You you can think you're sending to a million guests, but if only 100,000 are getting through, that is your list size. Exactly. Your list
0: size is how many people, How many get into the inbox. 100% agree.
2: So on that, the people that do get delivered to, you want to keep delivering them. So we want to keep an eye on the unsubscribes as well. That's my next metric. Um, and again, this should be a pretty steady metric. This is something you should, again, look at every single send because things can change in a send. Mm-hmm. Um, And we certainly want to see that unsubscribe percentage at 1% or lower on every single send. Um, And again, so if you see a sudden spike in that unsubscribe rate, it's an indication of something. You're going to have to do a little bit of soul searching to figure out what that is. Is it that you've been sending too frequently? Is it that your subject lines have been too spammy? You know, you'll have to kind of take a look at that and see what is the cause of the spike, but that needs to be looked at at every single send as well.
0: Yeah, and the, the unsubscribe is a real, real good indicator of the quality of, one, your list, but also the messaging that you're sending. And, and one of the mistakes that people are making now is they're getting so hung up on open rate, which is not on your list. That's right. Right? Open rate is a vanity metric, and it is misleading. And I'll tell you why. One is... You can manipulate the open rate by shrinking your list. So if you say I've got 100,000 people, but 50,000 of those haven't opened an email in the last two years, I'm going to scrub them off my list and only send to the other 50,000. Well, you know what? I just doubled my open rate because I'm sending to fewer people. As a percentage, more people are opening it, right? So it's vanity. It doesn't... Mean anything. But two, if I'm getting into that trap that a lot of people are getting into now where I'm doing a lot of AB subject line testing and the only metric I'm measuring success on is open rate, it doesn't mean squat if they're not booking. So I can have the most spammy subject line that's misleading, that's clickbaity, and get people to open the email. But if I don't deliver on that promise in the content of the email, I'm doing more harm than good because now I pissed them off. Someone that was passive in just kind of scanning the subjects until something came up that was relevant to them, now you alienated them and they're more likely to unsubscribe. So you gotta pay attention to unsubscribe.
2: And that leads to the next metric, which is something that you're not gonna find in most email service provider reports. You're gonna have to do a little math on this yourself, and that is the open to click through conversion rate. And as Stuart said, The open rate in and of itself, not very useful because you can skew that by, again, with your subject lines, with segmenting your list in different ways, which hopefully you are doing. Um, So open rate doesn't really tell me anything. And a click-through rate, click-throughs can only happen if you open. So that doesn't really tell me anything either. So this is a conversion rate of people who opened your message, found your message engaging, found the content important, and clicked on it. Um, and I would say this is what really needs to be focused on in terms of figuring out, is your message important to your um, subscribers?
0: Yeah, and is it relevant and is it valuable to those people as well? And, and one of the things, going back a little bit to unsubscribe as well, is when people do unsubscribe, it's because you're no longer providing them the value that they expected when they signed up for your list. Or you, you sign them up through something that wasn't genuine in terms of it was like, uh, An enter to win, and then you start sending them messages. One of the tactics that we've started employing for our clients, which has been effective, is a snooze feature, right? Because sometimes it's a timing issue. The people unsubscribe because the messages you're sending aren't relevant right now, right? But they might be again. So if you're in, a say, a tourist destination where people come once a year and that's it, they have their annual vacation and they're not going to think about it from Say they stay in July every year and they start booking again in January or February. Well, sending emails to them in August, September, October, November, December maybe isn't relevant to them. So giving them the ability to say tap out and say, I want to snooze this message for the next six months or five months or four months, whatever their preference is, is critical to reduce the unsubscribe rate. But it also means that then you're filtering the number of people you're sending to and yes your list size does go down but list size matters not right right i'm paraphrasing yoda he says size matters (coughs) not but i'm going to say list size matters not because what matters is how many of the people that you're sending to actually care about the message you're sending them and are gonna open it and then like you said click on it once they open it
1: yeah and both with the unsubscribes and the open the click through it all talks about how much you are delivering on your promise that you made to these people when they first signed up. You know, if you see people unsubscribing and it's their first message they've gotten, well, then they just inadvertently got on your list. You know, you need to look at your list development tactics. However, if they've been on the list for a very long time and you see them unsubscribing, if you see those long-time subscribers no longer clicking through, it tells you that you've no longer... You're no longer valuable to that person and you're not serving their purpose. Those people who open but never click through, they're more likely to become an unsubscribe if you can't find a way to make that message valuable for them because you could be wasting their time. Yeah, and the
0: other risk is both on this unsubscribe and the open-to-click conversion is... We only see the unsubscribes. There are other metrics. There are other things people can do if they don't want to receive your message Mm -hmm. that we don't see. And the biggest one is if you're using a platform like Gmail where there's a big button right there that says spam. I don't want to receive this anymore. That's easier a lot of times for that consumer than hitting unsubscribe and going through whatever that process is. So one, make sure your unsubscribe is one click simple because if it's not, if I have to jump through hoops, i'm probably going to click on that Mm and this is spam don't put it in my inbox anymore and that is a signal on the isp level or the esp level that this sender is sending stuff that i don't want and is probably sending stuff to other people that they don't want you're more likely to get blacklisted at that point so the last thing you want them to do is click on that spam button and the best way to do that is to monitor unsubscribes and monitor that open and click-through rate because those are good lead indicators of people that are likely to gonna click that spam button later on.
1: Yep, and poor list habits that result in you getting, you know, market spammed, getting blocked, it is a six months to a year, what we found in some cases, to help people dig themselves out of that hole and make sure that they then become a good reputable center again.
0: Yeah, especially if they don't pay attention to that unsubscribe or that deliverability rate <clears throat> real time every yeah. send right because if you let that deliverability issue happen for a month then you really have lost a lot of people for a good period of time that it's going to be a real challenge to get them back rehabilitated on your list and like you said it can take months and months yeah. to do that
1: and if if you're talking to your email delivery you know company if that's exact target or whomever else that might be when you're explaining your case to them of why you know they're having this problem of being blocked and you tell them oh i haven't looked at my stats in two months and i'm just sending and sending you're gonna have a harder time getting through that barrier to get them to help you be unblocked if they're gonna think that you're gonna go right back to your old habits I agree yeah
2: all right so we're leaving we're still on email but we're going back to the website now um, because it's all about money right we're all here to make money so our next two um, conversion events are well conversion rate of clicks to bookings from email and then the actual money that is made on the website from email so conversion rate again we've talked about this but here's just one example of how you need to be segmenting that conversion rate so we are looking at it you could look at it one of two ways you should probably be looking at it both ways one is a message by message basis how did this particular message convert And then, two, how is my email database as a whole converting? So you can see the trend over time, but then you can see, you know, over the course of call it a year of your entire send history, how that conversion rate is doing. And then you can see, you know, when you're looking at it from a message standpoint, you know, where are people abandoning from that message? Is there something I can do better on my next send to increase that conversion rate? Should I send them to a different landing page? Is it, was it a rate issue? Maybe it was a different package that we should have sent out. And then you just continue to improve that conversion rate over time.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things that our clients do is when they really look at what offers they sent the previous year, and, and that is how they base their next year kind of performance. So. If I'm sending back-to-school specials in, say, whenever people go back to school, like August last year, and then I don't send them this year and my revenue is down, well, maybe it's not because I wasn't sending emails, it's because I wasn't sending the right Mm -hmm. emails. So making sure that the messaging on the emails, you're paying attention to historical data to see what worked the previous year and what didn't. You know, if we know that certain messaging didn't work the previous year, didn't generate revenue, because that is the ultimate goal at the end of the day, then making sure that I'm using that data to indicate what I should be doing the following year. Yes. And, and then it's not just revenue too, because there's other variables in revenue, right? Because revenue could be my ADR change, there's some other, you know, maybe I raised my rates, maybe I added resort fees. Also looking at number of bookings. I think that, that in conjunction with revenue from email specifically is, is something I would pay attention to.
2: Right. All right. So we're going to leave email for now, and we're going to into a giant bucket of paid advertising. And when I'm talking about paid advertising, it could be anything from PPC. It could be, uh, print advertising. It could be just display advertising. It could be listings on a CVB or DMA website, third-party emails, anything that you're paying for basically. Um, and in this bucket, Again, we're only talking about 10 metrics that count. So in this bucket, the one and most important piece of information is your return on ad spend or ROAS. Um, because again, we're here to make money. So you need to know what paid advertising is actually making you money and what paid advertising is not making you money. And I will say that there's a caveat to this because sometimes you're not gonna see that ROAS as high or maybe it may be even negative on something like a brand campaign where you know you're at the way top of a conversion funnel and you're just trying to get your brand out there um, and you're just not necessarily going to see that conversion happening at that point
1: yeah and in those cases it's important to define those branding campaigns at the forefront so that you can clearly look at all of my roas goal campaigns and see which ones are performing to me this is the only metric That is the can make everything a true apples to apples comparison. You know, if it's a PPC campaign, if it's an impression based campaign, whatever it is, you can always do an ROAS calculation on it and help you determine what the performance is. It also gives you a great leverage point when you are talking with, you know, if it's portals, if it's, you know, a PPC provider, whomever it might be, to look at all your campaigns and measured on ROAS perspective consider that email should also be looked at in that regards it's probably going to be at the very top but that's what all your other marketing campaigns can strive toward
0: yeah and i agree with that but i also agree with melissa and what she said in terms of looking at it in context because certain advertising the the goal of certain advertising may be different right and where it is in the conversion funnel is different and Mm -hmm. therefore the metric. So I think you've got to compare advertising that is at the same point in the funnel to each other. For example, brand PPC is near the end of the funnel. That conversion rate is going to be a lot higher. The ROAS is going to be in the 1,000% plus range, right? If you're doing it right. If it's not, let us know because we can help. (laughs) But if you're doing broad PPC, same platform. is still AdWords, right? But you're now bidding on, say um, Austin hotels, right? If you're bidding on that, the ROAS is not as high as if you're bidding on your brand because people aren't as far down the funnel. They're looking for a hotel They're still narrowing down their selection. They haven't picked you yet, right? So that ROAS is going to be three or 400%. But there's a lot of people that start on that kind of um, search query and end up on a brand, right? Mm-hmm. So you're building awareness, So display advertising is another one, right? We're not huge fans of that here unless it's tied to performance, but display advertising builds awareness. The return on ad spend for display is never, ever going to be anywhere near a a direct call to action kind of conversion like in AdWords, right? So um, video advertising is another one. YouTube is a really cost effective way to advertise and get awareness out there but the conversions don't happen immediately. It's, it's you're nurturing. You're trying to get people onto an email list or something like that. Um, social is another place where you can segment that and say, well, some people I'm trying to get to like my page. Some people I'm trying to get an email address. Some people I'm trying to convert to bookings. Depending on the ad, the context, who you're targeting, the ROAS is going to be different. So I think you've really got to look at ROAS based on where it is within the funnel.
1: Yeah, and, and laying that out at the onset of this is what kind of campaign I'm running, and this is kind of what I can expect. The other thing gets concerned with ROAS is a lot of times if your metric is an email address, if your metric is a quote, if your metric is a new fan acquisition on Facebook, you do it does help to assign a numeric value to that event. So an email address may be worth $3. Now you can start playing the ROAS game with your email collection because you know truly what that's worth.
2: And I will say this is the last point of this. Google Analytics does a really nice job um, of being able to give you at least some insight as to multi-touchpoint um, campaigns so that you can see that impact that maybe your Facebook campaign is having, that you know it's a relationship builder. You're not gonna see that direct impact, um, but they, they really do have some good, um, easy-to-use reports but the caveat is your campaigns need to be tagged very well so that your data is clean and that your channels are set up in the way that makes sense and that is going to make your reporting easy. So um, I would encourage people to take a look at that where you can see, you know, last click conversions, but then they're also going to show you assisted conversions. So you get a much better picture of how that channel is performing.
0: Yeah. And we talked about this a lot last week about last click analytics versus an attribution model that makes sense. So. I don't wanna go into that again this week, but if you wanna go back and listen to episode 21 of Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, we have a little more depth into that conversation about how do you attribute data and and all that good stuff. Because it is really important. People don't just click on one ad and book. There there are multiple touch points. There are multiple influencing factors. And you've gotta consider that because things earlier in the funnel maybe don't look as valuable, but you know what, if you stop that, if you turn off that faucet, the end of the funnel is going to look a lot worse because people aren't getting to that point because they didn't start out at the beginning of the funnel. So that's it. Those are the metrics that we wanted to talk about today. Like we said, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other metrics. Obviously, if you're a hotel, you're looking at things like par, you're looking at occupancy, stuff like that. We're really looking at it from the marketing perspective and what we can influence. These metrics are good lead indicators into what you're ultimately trying to get, which is heads in beds. There are obviously more that we didn't talk about, but these are ones that hopefully you'll pay more attention to and hopefully you'll stop paying attention to some of the ones like bounce rate overall that don't really matter or list size that don't really matter because at the end of the day, they can be misleading in what they're representing. So any final thoughts, Pete?
1: You know, I would say, you know, my gosh, we have so much data available to us regardless of the platform that you're using and to take full advantage of it, take the time, review your metrics, see what's working, and let your analytics guide your marketing versus just putting out stuff, putting out stuff, and not necessarily knowing how it performs. The data is there, using it, using it smart is kind of key to being successful.
2: Yeah, I would say that, and I will reiterate um, thing number one that I've said over and over and over again, but the number of visits to your website doesn't matter. Visits do not generate revenue. It's Converting those visits and finding out your qualified traffic and building on the qualified traffic. So use the data that's available to build the qualified traffic.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with both of everything you guys just said. And and I would say don't work in a vacuum either. You know, sometimes there are things that happen in the industry that have an impact on your data that talking to other folks in the industry can help you interpret that data better. You know, if you're in isolation and you see that year over year your bookings are down, you might start to freak out. But then if you learn that the hotel down the street also has the same challenge, maybe it's a market condition that's changed, not anything related to your particular website. So reach out to other people in your industry, in your area, or, or contact an agency like Fuel to try to get some context to the data that you're looking at. But never, ever, ever spend a single penny of your hard-earned money without tracking it, without understanding how much revenue it's making you. Because we live in a day today where you can track literally every penny you spend online and offline to the point of conversion, both online conversions and over-the-phone conversions. The, the software, the tools, the expertise exists to allow you to do that. So take advantage of it. And, and it will save you thousands and thousands of dollars on your marketing budget if you do so. So that's it. That's our, our podcast for this week. You can get the notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 22. And Pete,
1: where can they find you on the web? They can find me on Twitter at pdimaio, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And Melissa, where can they find you?
2: On Twitter also at m a M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H.
0: And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Please submit any questions you have about hotel marketing. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Please share this podcast with as many people as you can. We'd love to get more people listening. We're getting a ton of subscribers. We had a record week this week. It was really exciting for us. It kind of validates us and makes us more inspired to do more of this stuff. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us by sharing it and also leaving a review on iTunes because that's how other people learn about it as well. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Two little ducks. Bingo. Two know, fat ladies. Old. Two little ducks. Quack, quack. 22. I
2: hmm. have no idea what that means.
0: <coughs> you know, in, in bingo, they all the numbers have like a name as well.
2: I that's learned something bun. new
0: today. Like 88 is uh, two fat ladies. Hmm. 88.
2: That's just not nice.
0: Yeah, two fat ladies.